millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAG, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDAG is changing for the better. For the better, like you. BetDAG, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Sunderland won 4-0 yesterday against Newcastle, kind of, under-21s, I'd say. And I'm joined by Sky Sports' Tom White to talk about that, his life, his career, and, well, just shoot the breeze and see what happens. So how are you, Tom? I'm very well, thank you. I was not so good at half-time yesterday. I thought we might be in for a bit of an embarrassment. But by the end, I was uh, content, I would say. Yeah, it was the, the only way, really, it felt. I suppose it felt good to win it 4-0. That was the best result. Just beat them comfortably and, and that was that. It was nice. I enjoyed the second half. Yeah, it was enjoyable. I mean, it's not... No one would ever say it's a proper derby. You don't come away with that euphoric feeling of, of beating Newcastle, which you, if you beat Newcastle, that's how you feel. It wasn't like that, obviously, because it was their under-21s, but it could have been a really bad... It was never going to be a brilliant night, but it could have been a really bad night. So, content. What do you think about the the Newcastle fans as well? There's like 3,000 of them there. Was... Well, the thing was, the noise they made was was very good. They deserve the credit for that. But I didn't hear one chant that was positive towards their own team. It tended to all be chants negative towards someone, which I didn't like very much because those their youngsters would have loved it if they'd completely got behind them. Yeah, uh, They would have loved the noise and everything, the, the volume of it. But I thought they maybe could have got behind their team more rather than just aiming chance negative chance at, at Sunderland yeah it did feel like they were there just to take the pee yeah I think they were but at the same time at least they did turn up and they they made their noise they shouldn't have been trying to rip out seats but I'd imagine there was wasn't many of them yeah, doing that I don't think you can tar them all with that brush but uh, they made noise so fair enough the lineup for Sunderland was Robin Reuter Rhys James Ali Mozturk, Tom Flanagan, Luke 9 midfield, Mumba, McGeoch, and then Maguire, Watmore, Sinclair, and Wyke made up a front four. It's hard mm-hmm. to pinpoint positions on them because they're very fluid. Uh, as you say, nil-nil half-time, but Sunderland took the lead just after with an own goal through Watts. 
is what I have written down, whoever Watts is. Charlie White scored a header for 2-0. Maguire scored a really good goal for 3. And then Kim Pioca, who I thought looked very good, uh, sealed it for 4. But before we start, should this game have ever happened? Well, the Checker Trade Trophy, or whatever, whatever it's been called in the past and such like, I don't really think that we need under-23 teams, under-21 teams in it. I think it should just be for as a, as the old version. This was to give it to, to give the youngsters of other clubs a chance to play competitive games. But the best way for those youngsters to play competitive games would be to go out on loan rather than the odd game in the Checker Trade Trophy. So I'm not a big fan of it, to be honest. In that sense, I don't think that it should have gone ahead. And if we can keep progressing, I would hope that we play teams from League 1 and League 2 and don't play any further teams in the under-21s because if, for instance, Manchester City under-21s win it, I think it'll be a bit of a shame because this is sort of League 1 and League 2's fans' chance of a day out at Wembley, which we all love and don't really get much of an opportunity. Even us having played so long in the Premier League, we don't get an opportunity to go to Wembley very often. So I think this should be left to us. But do you think the competition as a whole, do you think they did make a mistake when they, they put the under-21 sides in? Because even, I suppose the League 1 and League 2 teams voted on it as well. They, they The owners think it's all right. Hmm. But the fans just aren't buying into it. The attendances are low. I mean, Sunderland v Newcastle is probably the highest one attendance they've probably had in the competition. 14,000 there yesterday. But do you think it's working? Well, it, No, I don't think it is working. I think they're... The the idea behind it was was fair enough, but I don't think it, it I don't think it's worth the attendances are very bad. Ours, but at the same time, on the other side, I wouldn't have flown all the way up from the south of England if we were at home to Bury last night. Mm. Whereas I did fly up because it was against a version of Newcastle. So in that that sense, I suppose you could could say it's working. But if it was against Arsenal's under twenty ones or Liverpool's under twenty ones. Then, well, it couldn't be Arsenal, I suppose, because of the split. But if it was against Liverpool's under 21, I wouldn't have bothered flying back either. It's only really because it's sort of a derby and it's been a while since we've been able to have one. So I suppose I'm contradicting myself a little bit, but I still think it should be. I mean, I didn't, when our under 23s were in it, I wasn't bothered about it. So I can't see how they can be either. I would stick stick to the old fashioned way. It was interesting as well. Newcastle played. I think Macclesfield at home and there was like 1,400 there and then last night there's double that at the same light. So Yeah, I think same. Well, they could. we know that they could have sold more. Now, some people might have only wanted to buy a ticket to cause trouble. Mm-hmm. But in general, it, it, for the same reason, it's because there hasn't been a derby for so long. This was something. And actually, had they won, they would have had a, you know, they would have really, really enjoyed it. Understandably, just like if it was the other yeah. way around. So... I suppose I could see the interest from their side as well for, for, for two reasons. I suppose now we've got a chance at Wembley. We're not far away from potentially being there. So do you think at this point we should take it very seriously, the competition? Yeah, definitely. Well, we I want the day at Wembley. Um, we're out of the FA Cup. We're, we're out of the League Cup. So absolutely 100%. And I think that whoever we played in the final, we would get the majority of the stadium. And everyone that I speak to say that they'd go. I haven't spoken to a single Sunderland fan who said if we got to Wembley, they wouldn't go. So it would just be a day out. And hopefully we could even win at Wembley and lift a trophy, hopefully a trophy that will never be in again. 
Well, we will next year with our under twenty. Well, yeah, but our f- our first team at least. <laughs> I don't mean we've got a chance of defending it. Um, how many fans do you think we would take? I was talking about this last night to my friends, and we were saying, could it be four? I mean, Coventry took forty thousand last year. Could it be fifty, sixty thousand if we were given it? Well, I was talking about it. Uh, the uh, I went to Charlton away at the weekend, and and we were saying we think that we can get sixty because it holds ninety. You've got to probably take out 10 or 15 for corporate. And I, I know it depends on who we play, but I was looking through the teams it could be. I can't see them taking... Only Portsmouth. Yeah. The ones who could take but, 30-ish. But Ports, Portsmouth could, but I, I think... I suppose... I think that we could sell 60 tickets, and I think there's a good chance we could be given 60,000 tickets. So I would, I would hope that many. It'd be great, that. which is quite incredible. Yeah, taking London over. But, yeah. We did that with the League Cup final. So yes, I God know. Knows when we've got twice as many. Tell you what, that was a fun. T- I abs- I didn't even, I didn't even mind losing. The atmosphere was amazing. All the Sunderland fans, we all stayed to clap Manchester City winning the trophy. They wouldn't have got that. The Manchester City fans decided they loved us mm-hmm. because of the whole the whole atmosphere and everything about it. And the fact is, we even took the lead, so we even had that moment of joy even if we did end up losing. So I want to go back. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully not a playoff final. Though. Well, that's it. I don't want to go there twice. Yeah, I'll get in the top, get in the top two. Um, the, the game itself, which which player stood out for you? For Well, when Kimpioka came on, he made a big difference. Direct, isn't he? Just yeah, I, I really like He's He's still very raw, but he's bound to be. He stood out. So, But, but I had my eye on him. I also had my eye on Mumba because... Um, uh, Barley Mumba because we haven't seen that much of him I thought he was quite impressive but again he's he's still quite raw as well in a different way to Kimpioka Kimpioka's raw in, in the terms of he just gets the ball and just goes with it Mumba um, is a lot more refined player but also he needs to because he's very young his footballing brain isn't there yet but I I know a lot of people disagree with me here but you see, I love the fact that when Dylan McGeoch gets the ball, the ball sticks to his feet, and it's rare that he gives it away. He's not got a hundred percent pass completion, yeah. but I love the fact that he's very calm on the ball. When you get when he gets it, you know he's gonna get his head up, give it to someone else. Even if it is sideways, we're gonna keep possession. I like McGeoch, but last night the the player who I thought was the best was was Flanagan, which really, given that he's played most of the season, he should be. But I thought he was. Very good. I'm last surprised night. he played. Well, because he's been injured as well. I, I was surprised to see him in there, but I don't know if Baldwin, because he wasn't even on the bench. Baldwin's played almost every yeah. game, so he definitely needed the rest. Ozturk, fair enough. Um, and is injured. And Leuven's is injured, and I've I'm not sure if he'll feature much if if this centre back comes in. Um, I'm not sure how much Leuven's will will play again. So. I think it kind of had to be Flanagan, unless you were going to put a youngster in there. But we, the best thing to do was make the defence. If you look at our back four and goalkeeper, they were all first-team players. Uh, it wasn't far off first choice. I mean, Luke O'Neill could well be first choice right back now. Yeah. Reese James seems to be picked ahead of Oviedo. Flanagan's definitely first choice centre-back with Baldwin, so putting Ozturk in for Baldwin. And Reuter is a senior goalkeeper. It's he's just, looked very good this year. Yeah, he's he's looked good when he's played. So... That was the thing to do. Get the solid defence. Don't let them get too many chances. 
and hope that we get chances at the other end. And actually, it worked. So I, I wasn't I wasn't surprised to see Flanagan in, and I think he stood out, but he should have stood out. And Sinclair, to me, it looks like he's wearing shoes on ice. Like he's just slipping and sliding all over the place. Like the amount of times he almost looks like he's going to get in, he just falls over. It's frustrating. It is frustrating. It's probably more frustrating for him because you can tell that he is trying so hard. And he is, he's a, he plays in the Premier League. He's a Premier League player, officially. And he scored one goal for us, albeit a very important goal for us. And the thing is, when he plays, whether it's up front or on the wing, he never seems to look like scoring. Now, he hit the post last night, didn't he? But when we scored from the, we went out for a corner and we scored from the corner. But you can tell that he is trying so hard and it's really worrying him that he's not scoring, but he's not really looking like scoring. I think if he could get one, then he might go on a little run. But if we're now looking for a striker, I'd, I wonder if he might be sent back. Yeah, I worry for him. It would be a shame because I, when he came on against Charlton, he looked brilliant. I thought, this is it. This it could be our best sign. Yeah, yeah. First game of, yeah, sorry, first game of the season. I thought, this could be the signing of the summer. And... He hasn't really shown it since, but he got injured straight away. Mm-hmm. He did look good that opening day. He looked direct, but now I, I worry that he has found, he's not even found his level. Mm. Like, could he just be a League One, League Two player and a player who had such hype? Yeah. It would be a shame if he if he doesn't make that step. And I don't see how he's going to get into the team now because, I mean, as long as Madger is still here, Madger's first choice, Charlie Wyke is back. He's got a goal last night and he's he should be our first he choice. He very good yesterday, yeah, I thought. Yeah, he's, and we needed a big, strong striker against their youngsters. So he did he did his job. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Watmore will be ahead of Sinclair as well. And if we're signing a new striker, there's another one. And sometimes we put Maguire there. So straight away, Sinclair's so far down on the list. And then if you think that he's, Kim Pioca is also a striker stroke winger. Kim Pioca has looked better. So I do wonder if we might terminate that loan, which would be a shame because he's got a lot of potential. When he was at Liverpool, he was very, very highly rated. But he, he left Liverpool because he wasn't playing. He went to Watford, still hasn't been playing. He'd come on loan to League One and he's barely playing. So it's it, it's quite a shame. It's not too late for him, yeah, but it, it might be too late for him this season. Yeah, I do, I, do, I do worry about for him, like where his career is going. But I think Watford would make sense for them to bring him back anyway because they'll look at the situation and go well he's probably only going to play two or three more games this year Yeah. so they're likely to cancel it if we don't they might cancel it and send him to someone else yeah which would make sense yeah. I mean, I think he can do a job in League One I think if the team was almost built around him and his strengths I think he could do well Yeah. I mean when he was playing for us he, he brought other players into the game yeah. which I used to like but at the minute just with Wyke back I just can't see a way that he's going to yeah. and what more I, I think it's a, it's a shame, but I wouldn't be surprised to see it being terminated. What more? Just mentioned him there. He struggled last night and obviously went off with an injury as well. Um, what what do you make of him? Do you think he's maybe hit hit the wall where we saw it with Fraser Campbell? He came back from his injury, did really well initially, and then it took him a while. Like the adrenaline almost wore off, and he struggled. Do you think what more maybe needs a few few games rest? He, um, I actually think he needs more minutes. Than, than anything even if it's playing for our under 23s I think he needs more minutes because he's playing and he's trying and he, he hasn't lost his pace which surprised me because Fraser Campbell did lose his pace which is understandable mm-hmm. Watmore still got his pace 
but he's running into he's just running into the defenders. Whereas last time, that brief period where he came back, he was getting past the defenders and they were having to foul him. Now he's running into the defenders, but I think that's still rustiness. I don't think it's anything to do with um, his injury because he seems physically to be as quick as he was. Mm-hmm. He just needs more time on the pitch, even if it isn't in the first team. I think he needs more minutes rather than less. Yeah, I think I think... <laughs> I think you're right in some senses, but I do think when a player has two serious injuries like that, you can't necessarily give them as many minutes as maybe you'd want because you don't want to have a recurrence. Last year, we played him too much. Hmm. He did the injury pretty much straight. It was like five games back. Yeah. So I think maybe just this weekend against Luton, have him on the bench just in case. And then we've got, away game after that and then we've got a week off against Gillingham so maybe once the window ends and he's not had any niggles or anything I mean oh he's picked one up yesterday maybe we'll be more ready going into the, the late part of the season February onwards yeah well ho- hopefully because I absolutely love him mm-hmm. Um, and he when he got injured the first time in the Premier League he was worth a lot of money and there was every chance and I, I know this there was every chance that he was going to go in January but for big money, like I wouldn't have wanted to see him go, but I know the money it was going to be to another Premier League club. And it would have been, wow, all right, well, we'll have that. We'll we'll, we'll take that. And then he got the injury, comes back, does it again. He's been incredibly unlucky because he was really starting to look good, strangely enough, under David Moyes. Yeah, it was him him and Ichibi and Defoe together as a front three. I know. It was working. And under Allardyce, when it was him... Uh, him, Defoe, and Barini. and there was either Barini or Casri. Yeah. They, I suppose, what more Casri and Barini? It was always two from three there with Defoe up front. That was looking good as well when he came on in that huge game against Norwich that we won three nil. And what more scored? He was excellent, mm-hmm. and he was really looking like a Premier League player. So it's it's one of those really sad stories in football, but doesn't have to have a sad ending. And I really hope it has a happy ending. And I suppose last thing really on the game yesterday, I thought we looked. Very strong in the air, which for us isn't usual. But do you think that was more because we were playing against an under-21 side rather than us, you know, changing our style? Because our corners looked a bit more dangerous, but is that because they weren't winning the first headers that a League One team would? Well, yeah, that's definitely got part of it that we should be more, we should be more physical because it was literally men against boys. And I said to the, the I went down with my dad to the game, and I also two mates who actually were New, Newcastle fans. You know, they would never cause any trouble or anything like that. Um, and I said to them all, I said, "Our set pieces aren't our forte, but tonight it should be our forte." And especially with Charlie White back, that should be where we're dangerous. In the first half, we did nothing from our set pieces, and I looked like a bit of an idiot. <laughs> and second half, we ended up scoring two albeit one of them was an own goal suddenly we were causing problems which we should have done and I think that is to do with the fact that they are in these academies they play out from the back they keep the ball on the ground and they very rarely go long and if they do it's a pass in the corner for someone to run onto as opposed to someone to do have a physical battle against a big centre back so I think that's the main reason but also Ozturk is a big lump who should be winning every header as well, as well as Flanagan being an experienced tall centre-back too. 
and then having Charlie White back. So a few factors, but mainly I think it was because it was literally men against boys. Do you think now going forward in the league, if White is playing, our defensive set pieces are, are going to improve? Because it's like having a third centre-back, isn't it? Yet when you have a tall striker who comes back on the corners, mm-hmm. they essentially act as a, an additional, you know, I suppose, marker in the box. But yeah. do you think we, we'll improve now that White's going to likely be starting more games and defensively he's always going to be back? Do you think that'll make a big difference? Yes, I think it will make a difference. I think when we briefly went with a, like a, a proper three at the back, when we very briefly had three proper centre-backs there, that was the idea because you got an extra big man in there rather than a small fullback. You got an extra big man. And now if you've got, it's the same thing really, you've got a big man who can win the ball in Charlie Wyke. So it should help. I don't think it's going to be our salvation, but it will help. It's an extra big man in there for the mm-hmm. corners. So. Okay, well, we'll move on to Sunderland in general. I suppose the best place to start is the the Netflix series, which I'm sure you've watched. What yes. What your views of that? Absolutely loved it. And everyone who's watched it, who isn't a Sunderland fan, have said to me how much they loved it as well. Um, I thought it was, it was brilliantly done because I loved Premier Passions back in, uh, well, the 96-7 season. That was absolutely incredible that's still great tv now it, it is because you can still watch it on youtube and they're in the dressing room as well yeah is... exactly well jody craddock takes his takes his wife runs off and flings them on the camera at one point <laughs> um, that's how close they were to the action um but yeah love the documentary love the people in it and i'm looking forward to the second one do you already. think it, it represented sunderland well i think, I the think place it did. well i think it represented the fans uh very well um, and it really let people understand the history of why everybody is so passionate about the club. And Sunderland fans have, have kind of have always had a good reputation for being loyal fans. I think this, that's upped it a little bit. And and some of the things, so, although they didn't have like it wasn't access all areas, they did get some great stuff. I mean, when Martin Bain is there having just welcomed Ashley Fletcher on deadline day at the end of January, all smiles that Ashley Fletcher has signed and then gets the phone call that Jack Rodwell has refused to tear up his contract and he starts swearing and slams the door and you just see Ashley Fletcher's face. Yeah. You think, crikey. I mean, like we would never have known that reaction. And then what, the fan that confronts Coleman, who, I mean, I met Chris Coleman a few times, obviously I'm good friends with his wife because we, we did the same job. And in fact, speaking to his wife uh, yesterday, great lady, by the way, Charlotte, um, absolutely brilliant. But when Coleman gets confronted by that fan and he says, are you calling me that? Are you calling me that? Well, I'm a married man with six kids. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's relevant. <laughs> it's, I, I did love the, I love the documentary. I'm trying to get everyone into it and they're watching it and loving it. Yeah. Do you think it's something that we'll, we'll see more of? I know Man City and Juventus have done them, but theirs were more, I don't want to say propaganda, but it, mm. it felt like everything was hunky-dory, which I suppose it is at Man City. But. Yeah, well, it could have been that for us. Yeah. If we'd gone up and all the signings had been brilliant and Grayson had lasted the whole season and was a hero back in the Premier League, it would have been the same for us. Maybe it makes it better viewing that it wasn't. Um, but I've said to everyone, 
you don't have to be a Sunderland fan to watch it. Everyone's realising that because people are watching it all over the, all over the world. Because mm-hmm. that deadline day, they came into Sky, the um, Fullwell 73, and they interviewed a few of us, um, and they interviewed me as well. But I was, I was, I was cut out of it, and and probably fair enough. One, because I'm quite boring, but two, um, we were close to signing Ovi Ajaria, and I was asked about the signings that were coming in. So Lee Camp, Ovi Ajaria, Ashley Fletcher, and um, and I knew all about Ovi Ajaria. I knew he was a central midfielder for Liverpool. I knew, uh, I knew what he looked like. I knew what type of player he was. I knew how highly rated he was. And so I was given chapter and verse on Ovi Ajaria. The problem was, I thought his name was Ovi Alaria. Oh. So the, the whole way through, I'm talking about, yeah, this it's Alaria. You know, he's young, but he could be a good player. So even though I knew everything about him, I got his name wrong. So. That's not an idea. <laughs> so I was, uh, I was understandably cut, whereas uh, my colleague Jim, Jim White, uh, did manage to, to make the final cut. Yeah. Natalie Sawyer was cut as well, by the way, so. Jim White does like Sunderland, doesn't he? He's always he got does. us on his talk sports show. Where yeah. he, I think it's because Stuart Donald always drops nuggets. Yeah, um, yeah. He um, no, he he does like Sunderland. He always has liked Sunderland. Rangers he, fan, isn't he's, he? He's well, he he'd be Rangers over Celtic. But if you ask him who he supports, he'll say no one. He's not. Yeah. He's not bothered. and hasn't been for a long time. I know a lot of people in the Celtic Rangers rivalry who support one team or the other, and actually their love for the for for their club has faded because the rivalry has gone too far. A lot of journalists are like that though, aren't they? Yeah. As well, well these I mean, these aren't even journalists. I'm talking about a lot of fans who um, who have just kind of gone. Well, I if I, I do prefer one to the other, but I can't say I support them anymore. I'm not going to go anymore because it they feel that it's gone a bit far. That's only a few people. But Jim, I'd, he'd he'd say Rangers over Celtic. But I, I wouldn't say he's a Celtic fan. He likes Sunderland, but also he's um, he has Mickey Gray on his show mm. um, once a week as well. And Mickey's a great man. He gets on great with Mickey. He actually Jim Newell is short as well, um, and now he knows Stuart Donald, so he's got good contact at the club. How do you feel about this season in general? Just the playing side. How do you feel about the way Jack Ross has the team playing and and you know third in the league, big game against Luton, obviously this weekend. Who I think have lost their manager today, actually. Mm. What what do you make about the season in general? Is it is what you expected? Well, one, I'm absolutely loving it. I'm really enjoying this season. I've gone to more games than than usual because How many have you been to? I've been to You go to away games mainly, don't you? Yes. Well last night was my first home game of the season. Um I went to Gillingham, Wimbledon, Coventry, Bradford, Portsmouth, Charlton, now Newcastle. So there's seven. I go to Oxford, Wickham, Blackpool at home. Uh, and as soon as we get to a time where if we win, we get promoted, mm-hmm. I go to that. Reg- I'll find a way. I'll just, I mean, I would never pull a sickie, but I will <laughs> beg someone to to be there. And if we get, if it's playoffs, I will be at hopefully three games or at least two. So I get, I do get to plenty. Mm-hmm. Um but I've, I've loved this season. The way we play is, although the formation on paper is different, it's very similar to Gus Poyet. Um, it's keep possession and be patient for your chances. Now, the difference is, under Poyet, some games we were not even getting a single chance because that style of football, when you're trying to survive, it's really like 
we want to get one chance, take it, and win 1-0. Now, we're getting more chances because we're going for promotion rather than trying to survive relegation. So it, it's working nicely as long as we take the chances, which with Madger, thankfully, we have been. Madger, Maguire, Gucci has got a few. And I like it. I didn't like it so much under Poyet, but I very much am enjoying it this season. Do you think Jack Ross is a, a long-term Sunderland boss? Do you see him here for the next five years to see the project out? Um, if we... Well, first of all, if he lasts the whole season, he's going to be the first one for a long time to do so. So that would be a start. And I think he will, touch first wood. since Bruce? Yes, Steve Bruce did it in the season where... Yeah, I, don't, I don't know whether he's mentioned it, but we finished 10th. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't like to mention it very often. Yeah. Um, it was his Geordie roots. Yeah, what yeah. Well, that's 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 what he says. Yeah. It's funny though because he's now at, he's he managed Sheffield United. He's now taken over at Sheffield Wednesday. He managed Birmingham, and he managed Aston Villa. He's a Newcastle fan. He managed Sunderland. Yeah. So he, he doesn't yeah. he doesn't care about uh, he doesn't care about the rivalry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. City manager. Exactly. Man. Yeah. Man City. will be. He'll be there. Um, so, as for long term. I think he is getting a pretty good reputation. If he takes us up, I know people say hide into nothing because someone should go up. If he goes up straight away, remember what he did at St. Mirren was amazing. If he takes us up under what has what has been difficult financial circumstances with the amount of money that's been, the wage bill's so high, mm-hmm. basically, and players that he's not that fussed about on these big wages, that's impressive. And then if we're halfway through the championship, let's say we do go up, and I hope we do, let's say we're halfway through the championship and we are top half of the table, I think we might be in danger of losing him, not because we want him to go, but because someone else might take him. So I don't think he'll be here for five years, not because he's not good enough, but because someone else will feel he's too good. Yeah. What what do you think will happen if they don't go up? I think... Well, we just have to go up next season. Yeah. We have to. We've got one more season of, of parachute payments. But I suppose we will further cut the wage bill, I guess. Um, I think if we don't go up, it'll still be Jack Ross, as, as long as we only just miss out. I can't see that changing. Um, every manager says they need three transfer windows. That would then be next summer his third transfer window. And it might be absolutely fully his squad. And I think we'd probably have maybe even a better chance of going up because the club would be on far uh, more solid footing. So if we don't go up, I think we will go up next season again with Jack Ross as manager. What do you think about the new owners? Uh, Obviously, initially, I think there was a bit of, I don't know, trepidation. It came out the blue almost. Mm. It was Stuart Donald, the owner. I mean, what do you make of what they've done since they've came in? No, very, very positive very positive about them. I think Stuart Donald comes across very well. You can see the time and effort he's putting into it. He's not just paying someone to run the club for him and then just kind of looking at the figures. He's hands-on. So absolutely delighted with him. Can't really speak highly enough at the moment. It's clear, and he's got a long-term plan. Even if that long-term plan means Juan Sartori taking full charge, I actually think that the best thing to do, if we haven't, if we keep having success, and Stuart Donald wants Juan Sartori to take over, 
um, in terms of putting the more money in and being in, in, in charge, I would be quite happy for that to happen as long as Stuart Donald then just becomes, could become a paid chairman mm-hmm. so that he can continue to run the club, even if it's someone with more money who's going to be trying to take it to the next level. Because he's doing such a good job at doing it. Could he then just take a salary and continue to do the job? I would hope that would be the case. I wouldn't want him to just disappear because when Niall Quinn disappeared, I thought that was the beginning of the end. Now, different scenario, Niall Quinn wasn't the finances behind it like Stuart Donald is, but I would hope that he would still stay. But very complimentary about them so far. I don't think they've put a foot wrong. Okay, and then transfer window, there's a, a few names out there. Um, Will Grigg is the, the one that's, mm-hmm. I think, hot on everyone's lips. What do you think, make of that signing? Well, I don't know if it's true. I'm pretty sure Stuart Donald wouldn't have done that. This has all come from a reply to a tweet, yeah. hasn't it? Someone asked him and he's winked. about Will Grigg, and he's winked. Now, I don't see why he would wink if it wasn't. Yeah. So, um, I hope it's true because he's a goal scorer. He's different to the strikers that we've got. And he does score goals in League One. In the Championship, I think he could score goals in the Championship as well. But for some reason, when he's in the Championship, he doesn't play as much. He's not a regular. Um, this is a loan deal. Right. See, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. So it's a, See, I don't see why Wigan would loan him unless they want to sell him. I don't... I Because don't, he's, he's, not, he's not a youngster. Yeah, I suppose it depends. Though. I don't know what Wigan's financial situation is, but say Will Griggs on eight grand a week, mm-hmm. they might need that wage. If Sunderland are willing to pay that full wage, then they might go, right, okay, well, that means we can bring in this player on loan. So for them, it, it might just be a case of the only take as our loans. Right. I mean, would Sunderland, would it make sense for Sunderland to bring in Will Grigg permanently when his record in the championship isn't amazing? Well, if you look at our other strikers, Charlie White's untested in the championship. Josh Madger barely didn't play that much no, in the championship. Really. Yeah, yeah, he's never played in the, this role. in the championship. I think Will Grigg. I think he should have been tested in the championship, but he doesn't seem to play that much. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be against it being a permanent deal because as long as it he wasn't costing very much, his price wouldn't go down. Yeah. So I think it would make more sense to be permanent, but. Again, I don't know what, what his wages are and I don't know what we're going to say. In. Um, and although I hope it's true, I'm not sure if it is. The thing is, I'm not even that convinced we need a striker if Madge is staying. Now that Wyke's back and there's Watmore, I guess if we did send Sinclair back and Grigg was coming in for Sinclair, I could understand that. But if Sinclair's staying, I actually don't think we necessarily need one. Is it just a case... I don't know if it's a case of buying an extra weapon though. I mean, if you want if you want to go up and you can look at your bench and go, right, okay, well, we've got Will Grigg to come on. I mean, mm. he's a far better option than Jerome Sinclair. Last 20 minutes, you're getting beat 1-0, you're drawing 0-0. You know, we've drawn a lot of games this season. Yeah. We could have brought on a player like Will Grigg, who's yeah. to say that. Well, that's probably the thinking behind it and I'm not against it and I do like Will Grigg. Mm-hmm. So, he's got a great song as well. So, Well, it, it, can you imagine that will be absolutely... <laughs> Loving that if yeah. he can get his... That's like Gibral Cissé chant levels. I, I loved that Gibral. And you know, I actually loved Gibral Cissé. I was devastated when we sent him back. Especially when the song was, we'll never send him back to France. Yeah. And we did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did enjoy Gibral Cissé. I mean, I think when we signed him, just to totally take off course, it was like a statement. Like, I couldn't believe that Sunderland mm. had brought in Gibral Cissé. He was yeah. such a big name. 
at the time. I don't think he was the right fit, though. If I'm being honest, that second half of the season, he was pathetic. But the first half was brilliant. Mm, I think... I'm not really sure what happened in the second half. I mean, the thing is, our... We were very poor in the second half after, after. I think it was just a bad after Ricky's original uh, initial. Um, yeah, we just got lucky that Newcastle and Hull and Borough were so bad. Yeah, and I think West Brom finished bottomed in the by a mile. Well, when Newcastle beat Middlesbrough, they were. It looked like they were pretty much safe. The next game was at home to Fulham, and I know, I know that Alan Shearer, who was manager at the time, had it once they beat Middlesbrough. Had started inquiring about players to sign in the summer. It was Nigel Rio Coco, who's highly rated time, and Darren Bent, mm. and so he was, he was ready. Like, well, we should be fine now. Then Diamante Camera scored for Fulham at St James's. Fulham won, and suddenly it was like they're not safe yet. And then that that last day, of course, their their own goal sent them down. Us and Hull survived, but it was that was it was quite a. What's the term? I don't like to use pathetic, but it was actually quite a pathetic way of staying up. It was just because everyone else yeah, it was, so bad. was losing. Where some of our great escapes have been because we have pulled off some ridiculous results. Yeah, that wasn't a great escape. That was, a, that was an average a escape. Lucky es- a lucky <laughs> yeah. escape, I would say. An underwhelming yeah. escape. Yeah. Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions, like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAC, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDAC is changing for the better. For the better, like you. BetDAC, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. I think as well, back on the, the striker front, I think there's there's three strikers I think they're looking at. I don't think okay. Will Grigg is necessarily the the one. Right. Well, the thing is, I've... Because um, up until recently... See, right now, my contacts at the club are very poor. I don't... I, I, know, I know a couple of people there. There was a time when I knew everything that was going on. I had so many great contacts at the club. Mm-hmm. And even if they left new ones were coming in and I knew everything. And even though it's not my job to cover Sunderland, because I'm, I mean, I'm not even a reporter anymore. It's, it's my job to, to, I mean, I, my job to break stories, but it can be from anywhere. But at Sunderland, I had such fantastic contacts. I knew everything that was going on. Now I'm actually quite happy to leave it to, quite happy to leave it to others yeah. and find out just as the way that everybody else finds out when they read it on Roka Report or Sunderland Echo whatever, or from Keith Downey, finding it out that way is quite exciting. Mm-hmm. I quite like it. But when I had the contacts at the club, I knew everything. Things that I couldn't report, things I could report. Um, a lot of the things I couldn't report were unfortunately negative. Uh, but I'll give you one example that I that I can say now, um, and I don't necessarily blame anyone for this, but we all know that we wanted Virgil van Dijk. Everyone knows that. Did you know that he had signed? No. He had signed for us, right? Um, it was Lee Congerton who'd done the deal. He had signed. He'd, everything was signed. He was ready to be presented. But the money hadn't been transferred to Celtic. And Congerton got the call from Ellis Short to say, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to release that money. 
So having signed the deal, he was sent back to Celtic where he then went and signed for Southampton and then went for £75 million. And it's quite possibly, there's a strong argument to say he's the best centre-back in the world. It's scary. So that is scary. Mind you, we would have ruined Virgil van Dijk. Well, <laughs> he would yeah, would he still be the, the same player? No, he was a classy exactly, player at Celtic. Though. Was, I remember um, watching him at Celtic going, why is nobody... I was surprised he Sunderland and Southampton were the linked teams at the time. I was like, he's better than that. He's yeah. But then Champions there was, but then there was the fear of signing a player from Scotland back then. Um, like when Newcastle signed John Allen Boomsong, he oh, was yeah. he was back then he was the Virgil Van Dyke, and and that didn't work out, and that was still in people's minds even though it was years earlier. Mm-hmm. Now people have realised that Van Dyke was actually pretty. He good. was he was um, <laughs> f- fairly decent, but there's a, there's actually a few stories similar to that as well where it's just. People changing their minds. And I, I actually was never against Ellis Short. I, I, I really wasn't. I, I felt that his intentions were good. He really wanted Sunderland to get as high up as possible. He did feel that Sunderland should have been um, at the top end of the Premier League. And I think he just spent his money in the wrong places and ended up spending too much. But I, I always used to defend him. It didn't work. And I can't defend the fact that it, I can't say it did work. But his intentions were good, and I liked that. But it was... I mean, there's, there's another one as well where he was... When he persuaded Advocat to stay, he was desperate for Advocat to stay. He felt, as long as Advocat was manager, we'd be fine. Just like I felt, as long as Allardyce was manager, we'd be fine. He loved Advocat. He persuaded Advocat to stay with certain promises. And immediately said he's having none of them and then advocate realized that he wasn't getting what he thought he was getting and was straight was, was just trying to leave straight away it was it was surprising that advocate didn't quit earlier he tried to quit earlier actually and he was convinced to stay on till an international break so he definitely made mistakes but i do still think his intentions were good ellis short that is he's still watching the team actually good so say that he buys every game to watch so Apparently he's going to be here for a game this season. Well, I did hear that on well on this podcast. Yeah. I heard Stuart Donald say that he was supposed to be at one and didn't it's towards come. Towards the end of the season. But I, I still, I remember where I was when we found out that the takeover had happened. I was out, I'd, well, I'd been to the Fulham game on the Friday night. Which takeover was this one? The, the, the this, recent one. This yeah. one, yeah, this one. Also, oh, the Fulham game. The Zorro Fulham scored. game where Zoro scored, but then Mitrovic scored. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we were already down. I mean, they I was... got robbed that day, didn't we? Yeah, well, my, my dad came all the way down because we thought, because if we'd beaten Burton and we'd beaten Fulham, we could have been on another great escape. So we'd booked the tickets and he'd booked to come down. Him and my mum came down. And so we went to the Fulham game, still enjoyed ourselves and stuff. But at Sunday lunch, we're sitting having Sunday lunch in a, in a pub nearby, near me. And then I looked at Twitter to say that Coleman had been sacked. And I was absolutely furious. I left the table and walked outside because I was absolutely furious. I thought it was a dreadful decision. But then suddenly it flashes up within about five or 10 minutes that there's been a takeover and that all the debts had been cleared. And my head was going all day. My head was going, how has this all happened in, in this short space of time? I didn't know anything. I didn't know who Stuart Donald was. On air, I called him Donald Stewart, <laughs> which was embarrassing. All right. As it Maybe being, that's why Charlie does it. <laughs> well, well, yes. Yeah. You, yeah. Well, that's that, that. We'll come on to that in a sec. So, and I, and I was trying to get my head around it. And then when I kind of, everything had settled, I thought, right, well, this is positive that someone's bought the club. 
I still would have preferred Coleman to be manager at the time. Um, and Ellis Short is, although he's been often seen as the villain, that is quite, he, he actually ended up leaving the club in a decent state out of his own pocket. And I think there's a lot of people who may have really disliked him who at least can respect that part of it. And I've never met him, by the way. Um, I don't think anyone did. I've never met him. But <laughs> it's when, like a mystery figure. But when you were saying there cause about uh, about uh, Charlie. Yeah. Because Char- cause, um, cause I was that telling... Was, that was off air. Yes, yeah, well, exactly. No, but I don't, it's, not a, it's, it's, yeah. it's more of an embarrassing story to me than anything yeah. derogatory towards him. Because what we were saying before we came on, because Connor asked me what the... Um, what the uh, if I've met any of the owners, and I said, well, I have met Stuart, uh, I have met Charlie Methven at um, pretty much every away game in a pub at, in the pub. But the first time I met him was the Gillingham game away, which was a great away day, by the way. I, absolutely, that Gillingham away last season got given the worst away day in the football league. It's my best this season. It's got no roof. Yeah, I suppose it was summer. And I was in <laughs> yeah. shorts, and but I I went up to so anyway in the pub. I went up to Charlie Methven to introduce myself. Now, if I'm just walking down the street or anywhere, not very many people come up to me and and like talk to me or like kind of recognise me from from my job. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I see anyone involved in football, um, a player, a manager, coach, whoever they tend to watch a lot of Sky Sports news. So I will go up to them and they will recognise me. They might not know my name, but they'll recognise the face because I'm on a lot mm-hmm. and um, and they'll see that. So I went up to, to Charlie Methven with the same, kind of, uh, the same kind of attitude, like, oh, Charlie, how are you doing? And it was quite clear that Charlie Methven <laughs> does not watch Sky Sports News or he doesn't like Sky Sports News because there was no way he knew who I was <laughs> or he was pretending he didn't know who I was. So it was it was quite embarrassing because I was with my two friends. One of them, again, a Newcastle fan came with me all the way to Gillingham and an Arsenal fan, basically my son's two godfathers. I said, right, I'll tell you what, I'll take you on a basically a day on the lash. Yeah. We'll watch the football, something completely different for you two. And we went out and they have never, ever stopped laughing at me from the time that I went to speak to Charlie Methven and he had no idea who I was. So they are loving that. Yeah, I didn't. Embarrassed. <laughs> so I've seen him since a million times. Well, every away game since and in the Colliery Tavern last night. And I just keep my keep distance. It low. <laughs> yeah. We are tra- you're like, very, oh, yeah. Charlie very embarrassing. Will know me. Yeah, very know who I am, lads. I just assumed. <laughs> Very embarrassing. Yeah, never assume. Okay, we'll, we'll jump on to sort of your life because you've got an interesting job, I would say. I imagine people always say that, do you? You've got an interesting yeah. job. How long have you been at Sky? And I asked this even though I Googled it, but still, yeah. might not know. Well, Google will, Google will actually get it wrong. I've been I've been at Sky since um, August 2004. Oh, that's what Google said. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. well done, Google. Yeah, yeah. August 2004, um, and I became a presenter in August 2011. So what are you doing in 2004 to 11? Yeah, so it took me... That's what what I always wanted to do. And it took me seven years, which probably more than I hoped, but it was actually... It meant I did everything in between. So I, in 2004, I was a runner. Okay, so most places have done away with runners now. Clarify what a runner is. Yeah, People might be thinking that you're some sort of sprinter here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it did involve a, a lot of sprinting uh, for, for some of the guests I was looking after. But as a runner, you're at the very bottom of any organization if someone tells you you got to go and do something you've got to go and do it 
You make the and coffees. So making, like making teas and coffees was part of it. Doing the auto queue for the presenters, that's okay. That's a more important job. So that was part of it. Fair enough. Um, but most of the time it's spent looking after the guests. So back then I would be a runner on the Champions League shows. So Richard Keyes would be the presenter. He'd always have three guests, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, three different guests. And you'd have to just look after them. And whatever they wanted, you had to find a way of getting it for them. You're also making sure that you printed the scripts out for everybody. So everybody had the scripts. Um, and But really, if someone said, go and get these 10 boxes from the other side of Sky, and Sky's a big place, and bring them back, you had to do it. That was your job, to do the jobs that, if anyone needed you to do something, you had to be there to do it. So I did that for two years, which was quite demoralizing, given that I just you know, got a, a university degree, a first class degree at university to go and do that as my first job. Mm-hmm. But I knew that I was at the bottom of a ladder that I wanted to be on. I knew that I could climb it and get to where I wanted to be. So I stuck it out for two years, then got the job at Sky Sports News. So actually, finally, I was a journalist, um, which is what I had studied to do. Um, so that was then when you see the side panels with all the league tables and uh, that was all updated manually. That was me doing all the fixtures, uh, typing up the breaking news at the bottom. That was me. Did then make any really bad typos? No, I, um, there have been bad ones when we thankfully wasn't me when we uh, said that, um, Everton had won the ashes in 2005. We'd accidentally typed Everton rather than England. Fair. Um, like predictive that was before like that. well i think it's just so the guy who did it was so used to writing everton on his mm-hmm. keypad he's gone everton rather than england um but it was there for about probably 30 seconds but it was before the days of social so yeah completely nowadays oh you we were destroyed in, in all, everyone yeah would. you're getting in all sorts of trouble um there was another one which again wasn't me um it was a girl i know who we used to on the on that kind of ticker, we would, if there were any key incidents, we'd update them. So it was, I can't remember who the player was, but someone, she was supposed to write, has a shot from the edge oh. of the area. Well, if I tell you the word shot, yeah, one course. letter was changed. Yeah. And so someone had that at the edge of the area, which that was just at the start of social media days, as in Twitter days. And that one kind of went around the place. Yeah. But that one's a little like, yeah, funny, funny things. Mine wasn't, I didn't really. And there was a, a, a player called Ossie Sankofa at, at Charlton. He'd signed a new contract and I spelled his first name wrong for about 10 seconds. But a lot of people hadn't heard of him anyway. Yeah. He was like a right backstroke centre back. So mine weren't too bad. But then from there to actually writing the script. So then I was actually proper journalism. So I was writing the scripts, cutting the picture to go with the script. Then to being a reporter, which everyone knows what that is. And I had a one year at Sky Sports News Radio, which was only going for about two and a half years. Had a year up in Leeds doing that, which was absolutely brilliant. And that was the kind of last step to kind of, um, to go back to, back down to London to be a presenter. And it, I was, I was there for one year and I was kind of brought back. And I've been doing that since August, 2011. So as you're a presenter, do you, get news stories or are they given to you no well we well we can just turn up to work and present but you know we're journalists we don't want to do that so most of us will be trying to break stories Mm -hmm. um and when it's with us we don't really like we would 
get a story, phone the news desk, the story would go out. As long as it's been, it's always checked by other sources. We don't just get it from one source and go with it. The we famous che- Sky sources. Yeah, we check. <laughs> well, what we'll do if, if we get something from a, a Sky source, and by the way, when it's from a Sky source, it's usually someone in the club. Often it's the owner, chairman, um, managing director, chief executive, manager. It's very rarely from a player. Uh, often it's an agent. When it's an agent, that takes a lot of checking. We, we always, out of courtesy, you have to phone the club. Any any contact you got. So this the club. is what happened the other day with Madger. Yes. Now this wasn't me who who yeah, broke the story. Keith, I I, yeah, I assume I yeah. assume it was Keith. And Keith got great contacts in the northeast. He's the northeast reporter. He's got great contacts everywhere. Actually, he's very very good. Um, and even though every time a Sunderland fan comes up to me, they claim that he's a Newcastle fan. I can assure you, he's not. He's a Hearts. He's a Hearts fan. Yeah, I get, we've had him on here. He's got uh, well, exactly. Yeah, he is. He is. He's equal to Sunderland and Newcastle, I can assure you. It's just at the moment, Newcastle get more exposure because, unfortunately, we're in League One. Um, So, yeah, he'll have got a phone call. It sounds like from what... I haven't spoken to Keith about it, but it sounds like from what Stuart Donald says, the agent has phoned Keith. Keith has done the check. He phoned someone at the club. The best person you can phone at the club would be Stuart Donald at Sunderland. So he's obviously done the right thing, phoned Stuart Donald, who said, this is news to me, checked it out himself. And found out it's true. Mm-hmm. Now Stuart Donald is quite rightly upset that Sky knew before him. All right, if 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 all of this is true, and I haven't checked it because I, I don't yeah. need to. If all of this is true, Take Stuart, yeah, yeah, he is absolutely right to be unhappy with the agent, but he certainly won't be unhappy with Sky because it's not our fault that they phoned us and we've done the right thing. We could have put the story out, and the first time Stuart Donald could have seen it was on our breaking news mm-hmm. breaking news strap at the bottom of the screen. That would have been out of order, and he would definitely have a problem with Sky then. But we've checked the story with him, to which he said, news to me, then found out, okay, looks like your story's true. Now I need my right of reply, which is absolutely right. Everything there was done right from Sky's point of view and Sunderland's point of view, just possibly not Madge's agent, if that is all true. I don't know who his agent is, yeah. so I haven't. But it would be very easy for me to find out, but I it's not my, I'm not particularly interested in getting involved. <laughs> stressful breaking stories is very stressful. It's, it's, a, it's a lot, yeah. And and even if it's true, you still you're still often upsetting someone, and it's it, it's quite a stressful thing. It's very um, satisfying when you see your story out on the breaking news and everything's fine. Everyone's accepted it's true, and it ends up being a big story. Um, it's so satisfying. You feel like that is like top journalism, but it's very stressful because sometimes you get a story and you can't get it confirmed by someone else, and you know it's true, but you need more people to to um, to verify it, and it can't go out. And the person who's giving you the story is like, "Well, I'm not going to give you a story again because you haven't even broken it." Yeah, and it's quite like it can really like, it, and it can last. The some of these transfers can last for months. And it's quite hard work, so I've got a lot of sympathy for reporters. Who's I mean, that is Keith, Keith Downey, for instance, and other reporters. Darmesh, God, Darmesh in these transfer windows. Darmesheth, absolutely stressed as much as you can be, because that's his job for all this mm-hmm. time. And I do not envy them. And that was me for a while, and I'm, I'm glad it's not now. Now I can, you know, break stories here and there, but it's not my main job. Yeah. Well, how who decides to put the 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 brig and use yellow ticker like how do you know what story is a yellow ticker and how do you know which is well that would be that's the producer's job so there's five different production teams so there's always there's always a production team on um and the the 
person in charge of that production team will say that's worthy of that's worthy of the yellow they'd say that's that's worthy yeah. of the yellow breaking news and you know sometimes what we call in sky mega breaking is when you see it just all goes yellow and yeah. black like a big that's like alex ferguson retires yes exactly well when, when Mourinho was sacked mm-hmm. for instance Mourinho sacked all in yellow it's like right that's worthy of mega breaking basically if a premier league manager gets sacked or a premier league manager gets hired that is worthy of that mm-hmm. and um in, in other huge things as well like england winning the ashes or everton winning the ashes you know what i mean <laughs> um that's worthy of it but the producers decide and most premier league transfers are worthy of breaking news but not the mega breaking if if man you re-signed cristiano ronaldo that would that be obviously be absolutely mega even though it's just a transfer news rather than a managerial thing but that would be worthy of it um as well but yes my it, but that's it wouldn't be me to decide that i would just be on air at the time really why are you a sunland fan well we'll go to your core sunland support what is it that made you a sunland fan yeah very easy for me my my mum and dad are both football fans and both sunland fans so i, I was just are told they from sunland they're from my they're both from county durham my dad started from Towlaw, which i think is a bit of bit of a mix between Sunderland and Newcastle. Um, my mum's side of the family from Esh winning, uh, which is all Sunderland. Um, but my whole family, with the exception of two rogue cousins um, who support Newcastle, but they were in the difficult situation where their dad supported Newcastle and mum supported Sunderland, mm. so my dad's sister. So they had to make a decision. So they had to pick one. They picked Newcastle. But the rest of the family, all of which are Sunderland. So when I was younger, I was kind of told, your name's Tom. You support Sunderland, and it's—I didn't realise that. Although you never should, I didn't realise that you could change. I never <laughs> wanted to change, by the way. But my two godfathers—one was my uncle, Sunderland fan; one was like a family friend, Newcastle fan. And the first game I ever went to was actually Newcastle Portsmouth, St James's Park, where this godfather had sneakily tried to turn me into a Newcastle fan, and. I even remember, I remember the game, Newcastle won 2-1, Mick Quinn scored twice, um, he had a goal disallowed, still adamant to this day, he remembers the game well, saying he should have had a hat-trick. John Burridge made a mistake to let Portsmouth back in, but it was 2-1, and I remember this godfather like, so um, I think you might support Newcastle then, and I remember just like, back then, in my head like, but but no, because, because I support Sunderland, I didn't realise that you could yeah. actually swap, in my head it was just like, no, no, you... You support Sunderland, that's it. So then my other godfather took me to a Sunderland game and then me and my dad went all the time and it was it was just always, I was told I'm a Sunderland fan. And my son will be told he's a Sunderland fan. He's already got a Sunderland shirt. He's only 20 months old. Um, but his, I'm, again, lucky. His mum doesn't like football. So I can decide yeah, who he supports because his mum isn't going to argue. So he's a Sunderland fan, even though he's going to be growing up down there. So where are you from? I'm from Annick. So North Northumberland is where I'm from, which is very much a Newcastle, uh, Newcastle supporting area. Very few Sunderland fans there. But me and my sister, uh, we're the only ones from the family from Northumberland. Everyone else is County Durham. Mm. Um, but my dad moved there when I was, well, no, no, before, before I was born. So I was born there, always been from there. Um, and and that's why. And it's, I think that's it with, with your family. If you're, if you're, parents support the same club and both like football you support that team yeah 
The difficulty is if one supports one, one supports the other. And I suppose the easier, the easiest way is if neither like football and you do, then you really do choose who you want because you've got no pressure from anyone. That I end up with them um, rogue Man City fans up in Sunderland. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you like Northumberland? Is that yeah, favourite love, place? Yeah, well, that's home. Um, the year I had in Leeds, I love Yorkshire as well and love Durham. They're the three counties I love. I mean, right now I live in Berkshire, very happy in Berkshire, but the Yorkshire, Durham and Northumberland. I mean, ideally, that's where I would live. I mean, I, yeah. I can't really do it. Um, See yourself still as a strong northerner. Oh, very much so. <laughs> very much. I'd, I'd like my son to grow up in in you know the northeast, preferably. But at this stage, it's doesn't open a Sky Sports northeast office. I would love it. I would love it if they did. I would love it if they did. I, if I could present from there, I would. Uh, what's your best memory watching Sunderland? Hmm. Good one. I tell you what, even though I do not hate Newcastle at all, because the vast majority of my friends are Newcastle fans, so I can't hate them. Love beating them in derbies. Do not hate Newcastle. Don't want them to do badly. I just want someone to do better. Um, So the majority of my good memories are derby wins. Um, I mean, the first game I ever went to, it wasn't a derby. It was um, back in New Year's Day 1991. 1-0 1-0 win against Southampton. We were in the old first division, which is now the Premier League. Still went down, but we beat Southampton 1-0. Kevin Ball penalty, uh, like Letizia was playing. We had Tony Norman in goal and made a good save from Letizia at the end. So that's kind of the, that's the first game, Sunderland game I went to. But all of my top memories since then have been Newcastle wins. The 3-0 under De Canio was euphoria. I did not see it coming. Were you there? I remember, I was there, yeah, yeah. All, all my best memories are games where I've been there. Um, I'm always at St. James Park. I'm always in the Newcastle end because I've got nowhere near enough points to go at the Sunderland end. So I always just go in the Newcastle end because I can get tickets in there um, easily because I know so many people who are season ticket holders who aren't that bothered about going. Um, so I was there very close to where De Canio did his knee slide. And I remember going 1-0 up at half time. And thinking, God, we're, we're winning this. And then Adam Johnson scored to make it 2-0. Oh, and I thought, his name. Oh. Yes. I <laughs> we normally don't say his name. Yes, yes, He's yes, like I, Voldemort. I apologise. The, the second <laughs> no, it's goal, fine. You the see. second goal went in. Um, and I thought, God, we've actually got a chance here. Because at 1-0, I still thought, they're going to they're gonna do it. And they did actually score as well. They scored a good and goal. It was, and it was onside. Yeah. But Pardew's reaction was absolutely brilliant. Though. Golden. That was, it's gift that material. Was and then I remember to turn around to my friend who I'd, t- I'd brought up. He'd never been to a derby. He, well, he's, you know, one of my, my son's godfathers now. Um, I brought him up. And when Sessignon passed the ball to David Vaughan, I said, I said, oh, no. Vaughan will never score in a million years. And he just hit it. I've never seen anyone strike a ball so well. And in the Newcastle end, and I, I still, like, kind of sat on my hands. I always do. Would never give anything away. And my my mate, who doesn't even support Sunderland or Newcastle, kind of like jumped up because he was so shocked at, 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 that he, he hit it like that when I said he'd never scored in a million years. And the night out afterwards was absolutely brilliant. It was a bank holiday the, the next day. Everything was, it was just absolutely, clever. that's a great memory, that one. The Barini 2-1 under Poyet, very similar. That was at the Stadium of Light. Um, we were due to just go back back down to Anik that 
after the game, um, and Mickey Gray kindly invited us into the uh, players' lounge. She went to the players' lounge for a few, and then we went in. Mickey just basically took us around Sunderland. <laughs> and what a night, because first win of the season, it was against Newcastle. It was a screamer, late winner, and suddenly there was hope that season, which ended up being a brilliant season. So that's a great memory as well. Um, so they're the two that really stick out, but the League Cup final as well sticks out, even though we lost. What about the semi? The semi I couldn't go to. The semi I was working until seven. I had to race home just to watch it on TV. Mm. That one would have been, I'd say that probably would have trumped them all, but I couldn't go. Fair. Favourite player? Ever. Ever. Kevin Ball. Yeah. Kevin Ball. Yeah. Easy. Because thing is, with me, I was never that good at football, but got a little bit of pace. I can pass the ball. I can control the ball. But never in my 35 years have I attempted to even challenge for a header. I don't think I've ever made a tackle. Right? So... The people that I love are the people who can do everything that I can't do, the hard men. So I love John Kay. He would have been, you're a bit younger than me, so you might not remember much about John Kay. He was possibly even harder than Kevin Ball. I was at Sunderland, Birmingham, pretty sure it was Birmingham, at Roker Park. Lee Howie actually scored a screamer. We won, but John Kay broke his leg. Broke his leg. He was put on a stretcher and pretended to row. You must have heard that story. He was trying to pretend he was rowing a canoe on a stretch when he'd broken his leg. Most people would need the gas and air. Yeah. That's how hard he was. So I loved him. But Kevin Ball was, has obviously been there for longer and barely left the club. Um, and I still never met him. And I'm devastated still that I never, never met him. Still never met him. I love him. Just absolutely loved him because he was so hard and I couldn't do that. That's why I've always loved Catamo. And the amount of times I've had to defend Catamo is because it just blind love for him I've always loved him same reason because he's hard and I'm not I loved Gary Bennett <laughs> at first as well I mean that whole 92 cup final team were all kind of heroes in my eyes I mean John How Byrne you, as well point? so uh, that was 92 I was born in 1983 so I was 9 just uh, that That's summer when, I would have turned 10 yeah so because I, I was Phillips and that was when I was about 6 or 7 right okay fine so yeah. that's the team though you remember isn't that that's yeah. where you think of exactly yeah. the heroes the Could, greater larger than life figures yeah because we went I mean the first season that I got into football after Italia 90 we got relegated and it took us a long time to come back up under Peter Reid so that that cup final team were, were real heroes to me just like the England 1990 squad mm-hmm. were heroes to me because that's what got me into football um so they're all heroes and stuff, but, but Kevin Ball still the favourite ever Sunderland player. But of the Sunderland players that I've met, I've never been disappointed. Niall Quinn is... Have you met Quinn? Nope. He is even nicer than he seems. Absolutely lovely. And he'd do anything for you. Lovely, lovely man. Kevin Phillips, got on great with Kevin Phillips. Absolutely class. Uh, Mickey Gray, laugh a minute. Really, really, a very good pundit as well. I'm surprised he hasn't been on this actually. This is actually he's, he's on. The, he was meant to be on on Monday. Oh, but then he, uh, for whatever reason, we we're going to have him and Donald on the same day. Right. 
one before the other, but Mickey's just rearranged it for later this month. Right, thank Oh, well, you'll, you'll love speaking to him. He's got some great stories I've as well. I've seen him at Talkins and stuff right. before. So. He won't mind telling. he won't mind telling the stories either. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a top man, um, um, uh, Mickey Gray. Uh, Danny Higginbotham is a good friend of mine, lovely man, very good pundit. Uh, Rory Delap. Here, I know, well, I Delap thought was it was a very well. strange decision to let go of Higginbotham. Delap, I could have understood. He wasn't really playing and wasn't doing very much. But Delap is a really, really, like, he's one of the nicest men I've ever met. Because he's got, like, you know, really big biceps. He's got big shoulders. He's got very, very big shoulders. I wouldn't say he's got big biceps. I always wonder with him, like, that year, if he'd had that throw in, like, we, we could have maybe stayed up. Hmm. What, when we had about 15 points? Yeah, we had him throwing them in the box. We couldn't score goals, could we? So. Well, John Stead couldn't head the ball even though he's tall. <laughs> Anthony Letalic, I don't think, <laughs> ever true. won a header. Um, Andy Gray... Andy Gray was decent in the air, I suppose, but not much good at anything else. And the fourth striker was uh, Stephen Elliott, who I liked, and he never actually got a game that season. But in, I've also had, even though Kevin Ball's my favourite, I've never had him on the back of a shirt. I've had some really strange choices in terms of names on the back of a shirt. Um, I've had Stephen Caldwell. Nice. On the back of a shirt. Nice. Your four or five one? Uh, uh, Diodora. Uh, Diodora with the collar. Yeah. Yes, Diodora with the collar. That was a strange choice. I still don't know why. Um, I had Don Goodman um, on the back of the kind of very deep green mm-hmm. um, Vorks. I think it might have been Vorks Sampson at the time. Now, that was fair enough. He was key man, at, key man yeah. at the time. Matty Piper. Oh. Loved him. I've still got that um, Baltic blue away shirt Yeah, um, know, with, with Piper number seven on the back. Because I guess because he was so fast and tricky... A little bit like um, how I like the hard men because I can't be one. Um, the way he was able to skin players, I couldn't do that either. So I really liked Matty Piper. And under Peter Reid, we didn't ever really go for pace. And when he signed him, I was so happy. So I had him on the back of a shirt. And that's just a real shame. I love that podcast with yeah. him. That was one of my favourites, actually. It's a good guy. Um, really interesting his whole life, actually. Um, so I... I've had him on the back of a shirt. I've had Danny Diccio. Nice. Had him Love on the, uh, like, in a way, it was blue, but with a red, one red stripe and one right white stripe, kind of a, a, a hoop in the middle. With the Lamptons. Yeah. Oh, things. so it would so be had, the 90, 90, 90 one. I've had Diccio on the back of, of that because um, I thought he was underrated. I like Diccio. Yeah. He's got but, some good goals in. Yeah, you see, I, I liked him. And um, I, th- I think it gives a, Gave a bit of balance that he was left footed, but obviously, I've had the obvious ones Arca, Phillips, but I've never had Quinn, never had Ball, and they're probably the two two biggest legends. Do you like the most? Yeah. <laughs> what's your funniest story working on live TV? Doesn't even have to involve you, but um, must have been some things. I mean, you must have made some humorous mistakes. Yes, there was there was one where I got completely done, the whole of Sky got completely done by a a, a false story um, and it in, actually involved Newcastle I remember Newcastle went on this spree of signing players from France yeah that was under Graham Carr and... yes they were at the time were doing an incredible job um, just everyone else kind of then picked up on it and he didn't really evolve but Jimmy Kebe was at Reading at the time fairly poor player winger. right winger yeah. um, I think he might have been an, a, a Marley international but he was from French um, like you know he, he considered himself as being French so he tweeted from his official Twitter account on my way up to Newcastle for a medical now 
So we see it from his official Twitter. So we're like, okay, well, we can, we can break this, that Jimmy Kebe is saying this. So I'm on air, getting my ear, okay, can you... Jimmy Kebe says he's on his way to Newcastle for a medical. Now, knowing a lot of Newcastle fans, I was very surprised at this story anyway. But anyway, so it comes to me. And even though it's from his official Twitter, there was still a phone call going in from the news desk to Reading to say, is this true? Which we probably should have done before it got to me. So I'm live on air and I say, um, I say, right, more breaking transfer news again. It's from Newcastle and uh, it's, uh, that Jimmy Kebe is up for a medical. And as I'm saying that in my ear, no, Tom, Tom, no, we're phone reading. He's messing around. He's messing around. It's not true. And like mid-sentence, I'm like, oh, well, uh, 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 right, we've just been on the phone to Reading. It turns out, turn, turns out that it's it's just a joke and he's messing around. Then we moved on. But I looked like a right dipstick. Yeah. <laughs> because it was just, the thing is though, given that he played for Marley, I didn't know that he had, fre- it's kind of a really rubbish joke for him to tell, but it worked and completely yeah, he, he mugged you off. Completely did me. Yeah, completely did me. There's probably a few more, but I, I probably should have had them in my in my mind before coming in. Yeah, but those. But there's there's been a few times where I've I've looked like a bit. It's the nature of live TV. Well, Is exactly. it fully live? Yeah, hundred percent live. Uh, midnight to six a.m. isn't. Yeah, recording one hour. Yes, recording. but six, unless there's late breaking news, then we stay on. But in general, it's. 6 a.m. till midnight is 100% live, always. So how many hours do you do? So on air, some shifts are three hours, some are six. So it's, it's some so some three, some four, some five, some six. And you tend to get in, uh, you get in a few hours before to make sure that you're well prepped. Um, makeup. But in, in thing, yeah, makeup as well, yeah. Um, get your suit on. But it is really a 24-hour job. Your, your phone can't ever be off because... There could be a story. Someone could ring you with a story or ring you to ask you to chase a story. So it's 24 hours, really. But on air, you're you're never on more than six hours. But six hours is a slog. Constant talking for six hours is a slog. But the busier it is, the quicker it goes. Yeah. I mean, I was on just before Christmas. The um, Jose Marino got sacked. I was going on air 10 till 1 on my own. And I was looking at the rundown speaking to the producer and it was like a really quiet day. We're like, it's like, we could really do with a big story. It was, I was like, wasn't really that up for it because I knew that there was nothing to really test me. Mm-hmm. At 10 to 10, Mourinho got sacked. So suddenly the rundown's out the window. It's just get as much reaction as possible, get someone on. And it was the the best, I mean, it was three hours that I loved being on for, even though I was on my own, because it was like, right, we've now got Gary Neville on the phone. Right, don't give me any questions. I'll just leave it to me. Done. Right, we've now got Jamie Carrigo. We've now got Graham Souness. Right, we've now got Danny Higginbotham. Bang. After the other interviews for as long as I wanted them to be. Yeah. Brilliant. But it's very rare. It's got to be a massive story for that to happen. So I loved it. The bigger the story, the better. And it's amazing how three hours can feel like a long time on a quiet day and how they can feel like three minutes on a day like that. What advice would you give to somebody trying to get into the media? We have a lot of people listening to this who mm-hmm. you know, have, want to get involved at some point. Well, what would you tell somebody who's you know, maybe thinking about what to do in the future? How would you become a Sky Sports News presenter? Yeah, well, what you, have to, what you have to do is decide what it is that you want to do, right? Decide what it is and completely go for that. Find the bottom of the ladder. 
somewhere, wherever you want to do. You might want to be a, a newspaper journalist. You might want to be radio. You might want to be Sky Sports News. You you can find a way in. You can you can do work experience that isn't even official work experience. You can build your CV up on your own by. Uh, so you can write social media reports. You can go to a non-league club and say, can I do your social media for you? It's free. I'll do it for free. I'll write match reports for you. You can, you can start that way. You, can, you basically just need to get started, right? But once you get started, just give it everything you've got, right? Don't whinge. Don't moan. It will take time. But as long as you keep on working hard and asking the right, ask people for advice, don't ask them for a job. Ask them for advice. People like to be asked for advice, right? Take their advice. You listen to people, but mainly you just work hard and show patience because it will take time and you will at least get your chance. Now, if you get your chance and you don't take it, you know, you can only ask for a chance. And I'm absolutely certain that as long as you've worked hard, showed patience, listened to the right people who you've asked advice for, and then you get your chance, I'm absolutely 100% sure whoever it is will take their chance. And that is it. You've got to show that patience, though. In what ways do you think sports media needs to change? Um, it's changed a lot since kind of verified accounts came in on Twitter. Um, because we're now getting stories that we would have had to dig very hard for straight from the horse's mouth. And... and so it's changed a lot in that way. It's easy but to contact how... people because we find it Rogue Report. We can contact a massive amount of people just through Twitter. Yeah. Because if anybody's got Twitter and either follows us or you can message, you know, tweet them saying, you know, come ask yeah. me something, they get back to you. Yeah, ex- exactly. And my, my problem with, I mean, I've only been on Twitter for 18 months. I was always dead against it. And then I, I decided to join because the the, sh- the show I do on a Saturday, Goals Express, is very much... Um, there's a lot of social media interaction. It didn't make sense for me not to be on it myself. Mm-hmm. So that's that's actually the only reason I joined that. That's my excuse for having so few followers compared to all of my colleagues. <laughs> How many got, got? I've got a, quite a lot. I've got about seven thousand, but my colleagues, some have got in the hundreds of thousands, and some uh, most well, pretty much everyone other than me have got tens of thousands. All right. <laughs> my excuse is that I've only been on for eighteen months or so. But um, actually, it's just that I'm pretty boring as people are probably finding out <laughs> listening to this um so with that the thing is the thing i don't like about twitter is it's very very negative most people will say something negative to anything and i really don't like that yeah. but that's not something really the media can change i think that what needs to change in the media is from the especially in a football point of view i think that people involved in football clubs should be more open because they are probably the vast majority very good people who have some very good points. But if you go and interview a Premier League player, sat next to them is a press officer who is probably advising them just to give nothing away. Mm-hmm. And that's not their, that's not the press officer's fault. That's the way that it's been for a long, long time. And you can interview someone and they can come across as so boring because they're kind of told to be like that. And then they stop playing, get into the media, and they're absolutely excellent. Got great views on football, very strong, opinionated, and and funny. Chris Boyd, when he was playing, I mean, he still is playing, he's, yeah. playing, he's playing very well. 
But when he was like playing for Scotland and, and Rangers and Middlesbrough, I thought, God, I don't know why we bother interviewing him because he doesn't, he, he's so born. What's the point? Now that he's older and kind of does what he likes and is involved with Sky, that guy is absolutely class. But when he was a young player, he was never allowed to show that. Mm-hmm. And now you look at how well Stuart Donald's coming across and Charlie Methvin and our, like our, our, the Sunderland social media account getting, you know, having, having a laugh with Luko Nyan, yeah. Max Power, every, everybody really, Lyndon Gooch. Everyone comes across so well because they're allowed to come across mm-hmm. well. And I don't know where the fear is. There seems to be a fear that every journalist is trying to trip you up, trying to get a negative story. When actually that is just, I can tell you now, that is 100% not the case. If there's a negative story, we will report it because it's a story regardless. But if you have an interview with someone who comes across really well, it comes across well to everyone. And that's what I would like to change. I would like the clubs to be more open. If you go into um, uh, a, a sport that doesn't have quite the same um, following as like Premier League football, you are welcomed in access all areas everyone's available for interview everybody wants to be interviewed they bend over backwards for you and everyone comes across so well and it means we go back they get more exposure so i'd like that to change i'd like people to be a little bit more open because it will end up looking good on them just like it is this season with sunderland good stuff okay i think that's probably just about it for us so thanks for coming in tom we've done an hour in Nearly 20 minutes. My so. pleasure. Yeah, and are you heading back home today? Yes, flying back tonight. I'm, I'm on air tomorrow. I will be on air for the Checker Trade Trophy draw. Oh, it's 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock. I'm on air 5 till 8. So, And who are you doing that with? I don't know yet. It's EFL because, Mars, I've be, isn't it? because I've been off for a few years. Uh, a few, a few, few years? years? Sorry, a few <laughs> days. Crikey. A few, because I've been off for a few days because I, I went to the Charlton game as well, so I just booked it all off. Mm-hmm. Um... I haven't actually looked into it, but I will. I will. I should probably give them a ring and, and see, do a bit of prep. Yeah. What, what do you see yourself? What do you want to do on Sky Sports in the future? What would be your ideal role going well, forward? Well, this is the job that I've always wanted, right? So I'm certainly, if Very I'm here, happy. if I'm here forever, no complaints. Um, if yeah, Iron Update I Jones, was fellow Sunderland fan, yeah. Well, his Monday Night Football he spot. is. He is far. He is. Let's be honest better than me far more professional than me as well he wouldn't uh, book a day off work to go to Charlton away like like I do and Portsmouth away all of those away games where I take a day off work that's probably why Dave Jones does Super Sunday and I do Goals Express <laughs> for that reason but I actually would probably if I was I mean that would be that is one of the flagship shows Monday Night Football and and um, and, and, and Super Sunday that's a that's flagship um, and you've got Soccer Saturday flagship and you've got two excellent presenters doing it, Dave Jones and Jeff Stelling. Um, Jeff might retire they, soon. They are, but yeah, he could I steal think, his spot. Thing is, though, <laughs> like when like when Dave took over from Ed Chamberlain, Ed Chamberlain, absolutely excellent. Dave, just just as good, possibly even better. Um, and Ed hadn't been doing it for that long, so it was, it wasn't like taking over from Sir Alex Ferguson. You take over from Jeff Stelling, mm. and you're basically the David Moyes. You need to be the one after that, don't you? Exactly. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not really eyeing that up. I'd, I think Soccer Saturday is brilliant, and I would love to do it. But taking over from Jeff would be very, very difficult. 
I was always surprised when Ed Chamberlain left Sky. I was like, you've got the best job in the world, mate. Well, he... But he, he's went to race. And yeah, well, he, he had two dream jobs. His, 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 he, one of his dream jobs was Super Sunday, which he did. And one of them was, like, live horse racing, which he's now doing. So he had a, he had a chance to do... He probably would have liked more, I guess, would have liked more time at Sky before going to the racing. Or ideally, I suppose he would have liked to have done both if possible. But if he gets that opportunity to do his two dream jobs, then you're going to you're gonna take it. And he's, um, he's excellent at that as well. My, my dad's a big horse, big horse um, fan. Fan of um, horses. Fa- fan of horses. <laughs> yeah, well, he, breed, he breeds horses. Uh-huh. So, um, Makes sense, Northumberland. Yeah, and he says he's... He says he's says that Ed's very good at that as well, so no, Doing well. no harm done. Yes, we'll sign off. Uh, we've got podcast on Sunday, I imagine. Don't know if I've organised anything for it. It's Christmas just came back, so <laughs> see who comes on. It's well, hopefully, I'll tell you what, let's just hope we're talking about a win. Yeah, big game. And, and Luton's Saturday. obviously lost their manager as well, which I haven't even touched well, on that. Have they definitely? I saw some... Um, I had hit well, Pete my... Graves, it's Sky, former Sky guy. Oh, is it? Was he well, Pete Graves is Sky, yeah. No, O'Rourke. What's his name? Oh, oh Pete O'Rourke. Yeah, him. Oh, he's good. He's, he knows he, the he stuff. He said before that it, it's, it's pretty much a Well, that's deal. interesting because Liam Lawrence tweeted it, yeah. our former player, and I get on great with Liam, um, and he's banging there with Stoke, and he said it last night, so it could be true. Be interesting. I would see that as positive news for us. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Unless the play for him when he's not there. I'll be at work on before. Saturday. My, my dad will be going, but I'm, I'll, be, uh, I'll be at work, unfortunately. Wait, wait, it's like a Saturday will be on. What are you doing on it? Oh, you'll be waiting I, after? I go on at six. Do you get to watch all the matches though? So I get in at um, two o'clock, get myself set up. Every Premier League and Championship game are right in front of me. Watch them, then go on air for three hours afterwards. Really good, busy three hours. But that time at three o'clock, every now and again, there's a League One game. So this is the first season since I've worked at Sky that I haven't been able to watch Sunderland every single week. Uh. Which is probably why I'm going to more games. One yeah. of the, one of the reasons. But people, you see, me and a guy called Julian Waters, we do that shift every Saturday, six till nine. So we're watching all those games from three o'clock. And every week we say, how much do you think people would pay to be where we are now? And we're getting paid. Yeah. So Saturdays, although people don't like working Saturdays, the best job, favorite day of the week. Okay, we'll sign off. That's a good note to sign off from. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.